0: 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll be reading this chapter in its entirety, but then for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, behold. We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So today, my friends, we're going to look particularly at verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5, the theme of which is, union with Christ implies a new creation. Union, being united with Christ, implies a new creation. Now how would y'all, how would y'all like a fresh new start? So many people in the world are burdened down. With cares, sorrows, heartaches, concerns over finances, family, physical health and needs, the follies of sin. Well, so many times we want to push the reset button. You know, the Bible does not promise you that you will have an easy time of life. life. Life is tough. Children, life is tough. There are going to be many heartaches and many sorrows that you're going to go through. The longer you live, the more you're going to have. It's the nature of the case. Life is hard. Life is tough. We live in a sin-cursed world. So there's no promise you're going to have an easy time. But the Bible the scriptures, do give hope and perspective to those who struggle with various problems. The Bible itself is a roadmap to give you guidance. And the Lord can give you new eyes to see and a fresh perspective on life. And more than that, more than that, you can experience God's grace and salvation. My friends, you today can have the peace that passes all understanding you can be assured that your sins have been forgiven you can have your life turned around by means of a personal relationship by means of a personal relationship with the God of the universe You can have all those things today. Now, the context for our text today is reconciliation, being reconciled, being brought back together with God, but also being reconciled to each other. Paul, in this book of 2 Corinthians, wanted to be reconciled to the believers in Corinth, to the Corinthians. His apostleship had been attacked in their midst. And he had to vindicate himself, as it were. He had to defend his office as an apostle. He justified his office in vindication, not so much of himself, but in vindication of his message. But at the same time, in order to reconcile with these spiritual children. These are his children whom he had begotten spiritually. More immediately here in our text, Paul wrote of the need and the reality of reconciliation with God. So with that as a background, let's first look at the notion of union with Christ. Now therefore, if anyone is in Christ, union with Christ. Now this idea of being in Christ is rooted in In God's election, God having chosen us before the foundation of the world from all eternity to be his children. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Do you hear that? In Christ. Just as he chose us in him, in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted, and here Paul says, in the beloved, the one who is beloved, the one whom our souls love, that is to say, the Christ. And so the idea of being united with Christ, the root of it, the foundation of it, the, the fountain of it, if you will, is the election of God, the predestination of, of sinners who are predestined to be saints from all eternity. This idea, this doctrine of union with Christ involves our total identity with Christ. That's why we read from Romans 6 today. If you look at, uh, you perhaps turn back to Romans 6, Romans 6, you see in verse three, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism You want to be a slave of sin? There are many people in this world who are slaves of sin. But there is opportunity, you see, to be a new creation in Christ. How so? By union with Christ. This whole idea of being baptized into Jesus Christ means that we are identified with him. It means that we are changed by him. It means that we take his name as ours. We're part of the family now. Being baptized into his death means to be identified with him in his death. When he died on the cross, we who belong to Christ died with him. That's what Paul is saying here. And the effect of our death with him is that we died to sin so that we should no longer live in sin, so that we would no longer be bound by sin, so that we would no longer be the slaves of sin because we died with Christ. And furthermore, we are joined with him in resurrection. And as such, we are freed, therefore. We are free to live a new life. We are free. We can have a joy despite the circumstances we may be going through. You ever see anyone who's just suffered so much but beams with the love of Christ? And that's what Paul is talking about here. We are free to live a new life and we also someday ourselves will rise from the dead in resurrected bodies. That's what Paul is getting at in Romans 6. It's union with Christ. We went where he went. We went with him to the cross and we rose with him from the dead. In John chapter 15, you remember John 15, uh, Jesus says in, in John 15, "Abide abide in me and I in you. Union with Christ. Abide in me You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Children, you ever you ever seen a a branch just on the ground, apart from the tree? How long do you think that branch is going to have leaves? Not very long. It's going to die. In principle, it's already dead. It's cut off from the tree. That branch needs to be Joined to the tree. It needs to have union with And if it doesn't, it's going to die. That's the picture that Jesus is painting for us. Union with him. Union with Christ. So not only is there total identity with Christ in terms of this union, but it also involves his headship as our representative head or federal head. You know, the idea of the federal government, federal, refers to a representative form of government. In John chapter five, actually Romans chapter five, in Romans chapter five and verse 12, we read, "Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, well, we were united with Adam, weren't we?" But then verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, the great chapter of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. We all died in Adam. We were united in Adam, but now in Christ we are made alive. This idea of union with Christ, by the way, which is glorious, involves not just glory, but also suffering. Suffering. Pain. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's glory there, isn't there? But in point of fact, there is also suffering as well. Romans 8, verse 17. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And so this idea of union with Christ, which is so glorious and wonderful and has the prospect of eternity without any pain and suffering and tears, yet we still go through this life and we still suffer many of the same things that Jesus suffered. This idea of union with Christ is one of the most precious doctrines of salvation. So much can be summed up under this category. And in many ways, it's the basis upon which which come other aspects of salvation. So, Paul says here, if any man be in Christ if any man have union with Christ what does he say he is a new creation notice though the conditional statement it says if anyone is in Christ if anyone is in union with Christ so not everyone is a new creation you have to be in union with Christ if anyone is in union with Christ. Or we could even say it more broadly, we could say if anyone anywhere has experienced this union with Christ, that is evidence, that is proof, conclusive proof, that a great power is at work in the world. That's what Paul is getting at here. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Or perhaps, as we will say, there is a new creation. So, let's then look at the idea of new creation. Now, we know that God is the creator. He's the one who brought all things into being out of nothing. Genesis 1, Psalm 33. But what happened, my friends, to creation is that sin entered Sin distorted the creation, marred the creation, and caused death. Adam's fall brought about many terrible effects. The creation, according to Romans 8, groans in travail. It's kind of like a woman woman who's expecting, groaning in in travail. That's the picture that's there. Man, of course, is born into sin. The original sin applies to every one of us. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. The one who's the original creator, it must be God who can bring about a new creation. It takes supernatural power to overcome sin and to put things right. Ezekiel chapter 36 in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 and following, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you, will keep my judgments and do them. See, many times we struggle keeping the law of God. Sometimes we struggle with that because we're trying to earn brownie points with God. That's not the way it works, is it? We respond to God's love, in love, and keep the law of God. So, this is a scriptural theme, a new creation but what exactly is meant by this theme? So I want to look at this in two distinct ways first of all, subjectively then objectively subjectively, let's say applied to us as individuals, subjectively now if we turn back then to 2 Corinthians 5, notice verse 16 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16 where Paul says therefore from now on We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Now it seems to me that what's going on here, the commentators I think would be in agreement here, is that what Paul is doing is he's making a distinction between a superficial, shallow understanding and a genuine knowing. That's what he's getting at here. It's not simply the outer. It's not simply the superficial. In other words, there's a difference between sort of knowing about Christ and knowing Christ. It means, it means therefore, that negatively, it means that we should perceive the spiritual truths and realities and reject false and fleshly ideas. For example, negatively, then this, this sort of negative side, we should, we should reject the idea that Christ can be bought and sold, like Simon Magus when he saw the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, Give it to me, I'll pay you money for it. And Peter said, May you perish with your money. Or squabbling over who was to have the the highest place. Which one is going to be able to sit at your right hand? The disciples wanted to know. Or thinking of Jesus as simply a good man, not the God man. Or denying the atonement, the sacrifice of Christ. Or believing that good works can get you right with God. And so negatively, Paul is saying we don't know Christ like that anymore any longer that superficial way and the sort of fleshly way but positively verse 15 positively we do know him and we therefore should live for him and he died for all paul says that those who live should live live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again so what does that mean? What does it mean that we should live for Christ? Well, the first thing that we would say is that it sh- there should be, if we have come to Christ, there should be a change in our appetites in what we want to do. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 4, in 1 Peter chapter 4, 3 and 4, we read, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, the nations, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable, loathsome idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, sexual immorality, speaking evil of you hmm. have you ever heard of someone let's call him Bob Okay. let's say there's a fellow by the name of Bob who comes to Christ and you know what his friends start saying to him Bob's no longer the life of the party he's no longer the life of the party what's wrong with Bob why isn't he getting drunk like us Why isn't he carousing like us? Why isn't he using drugs like us? Why isn't he involved in sexual immorality like us? Whatever it may be. And so we see then that the first things we can note is if we are going to live for him, there must be a change in one's appetites. Secondly, Keeping of the law of God. Keeping of the law of God. We mentioned a moment ago, Ezekiel 36, verse 27, where God says, I will write my law upon your hearts. This is a sign, therefore. Not that we work up somehow to keeping the law. Not that it's a burden to us. It shouldn't be. It should be our joy. If it's not our joy, we better look and see. What's wrong with us? Psalm 119, verse 97 Oh, how I love thy law. It is my study all the day. And so that change in one's appetites leads to keeping the law of God. But notice also that there must be a motivation, which is love for Christ. Notice verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ compels us. The love of Jesus compels us. My friends, remember his love for you. It is love that sent him to the cross. It is love that sent him to experience the darkness and the agony of hell itself there at the cross. And my friends, the child of God, therefore, if you are a child of God, instinctively loves Christ. Not simply a a bland sort of acknowledgement of Christ, but a love for Christ, for Jesus Christ. We hear the voice of the shepherd and we follow him. We love him, for he first loved us. In that regard, notice verse 13a. There we see zeal for the glory of God. For if we are beside ourselves we're reviewed as fools, as it were, Christ, Paul at one point will say, I'm, a, I'm willing to be a fool for Christ. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. In other words, Paul was willing to be a fool for Christ's sake. He was willing to get carried away in ecstasy, in enthusiasm for his Lord's zeal for God's glory. No longer glory of God. It is for God. But look at the end of verse 13. There's also then concern for the church, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. It is for you. Remember Psalm 122, verse 1? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but rather joining together with the people of God in worship. This is a mark of a believer. This is a mark of being united with Christ, that we should live for him. And not only that, notice verse 11, but there's also an evangelistic passion. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing that there is a judgment coming. Knowing, as he said in the, in the previous verse, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Knowing these things. We want others to come into a right relationship. We want others to experience the newness of life that we have. And so, subjectively, we can say, if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation because these things will be true of him or her. But now, let me also look at this one other way, and that is objectively. Objectively. Remember we mentioned how reconciliation, being made right with God, reconciliation is the basis of, of the new creation. And Christ's death and resurrection are the foundation of that reconciliation. So objectively, outside of ourselves, it's not just our feelings, as it were, it's not just our desires, but objectively, outside of ourselves, God is the one who has brought about the reconciliation between himself and ourselves. But there's one other thing here in terms of this objective reality of a new creation. You notice how, look look at verse 17, it's very interesting. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you see the words he is, Do you see that they are in in italics. Now, in English, usually, children, if you are reading a book, you see something in italics, it's a way of emphasizing it. But in Scripture, in a translation like the King James or New King James, if you see words italicized, it means that those are, no, are those words are not in the original. They've been supplied to help us try to understand the meaning of it, to make it make it read make it read more smoothly. Okay, literally, it is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. So. The question then is, what is the the focus here? Is it on the individual, or is there perhaps another focus, or at least an additional focus? It is quite possible that the way to translate this would be not he is a new creation, but there is a new creation. There is, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. That is to say, this vital, this living, this dynamite, dynamic power that is echoing throughout all creation. Or we could say reverberating. If you've ever stood alongside the railroad tracks and had a, uh, had a, uh, a fast freight or a passenger train come by, as those locomotives get closer, they, they, you, you can feel it in your chest. Or sometimes if you're next to a, a souped-up car and you feel it, it reverberates in your chest, you can feel it. And that's, that's the, the um, analogy here that I'm offering. This dynamic power is not simply in the individual but it is reverberating, it is affecting all of creation. And so let's think about that for a moment. What are some of the themes in terms of the new creation? Well, the new eon, or the new era, or the new age, not in the, in the new agey sense of that, not in the Eastern mystical sense of that, but the fact that we are in a different era now that Christ has come. You see there is this dynamic breakthrough of heaven's power and grace into this present age. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven has come. It's broken through as it were and it's manifested itself in a far more in a far greater way than in the old testament. We also know the idea of New Covenant and New Testament, similar concepts. Jesus spoke of the foolishness of putting new wine in old wineskins. My friends, what was Jesus saying? He was saying the reality is now here. The reality is now here. We no longer have simply the pictures. We have the reality now that Jesus has come. Instead of the earthly temple, we have the heavenly temple. Instead of carnal ordinances that appeal to the senses, we have the Holy Spirit who imparts spiritual truth and the full reality is the full reality of God's presence. Instead of circumcision, a bloody ritual, we have baptism with water. Instead of Passover, that also is bloody, involves the sacrifice of animals, we have the Lord's Supper. Instead of manna, as in the wilderness, we have the Lord's body on which we spiritually feed in communion. Instead of thousands of priests, we have one high priest. Instead of a mortal king, We have an all-powerful, sovereign king. Instead of a lamb without understanding, we have a spiritual lamb who not only was sacrificed, but also sacrificed himself, knowing exactly what he was doing. Instead of countless sacrifices, we have the once-for-all sacrifice on the cross. Instead of a Jewish orientation... We have a church that is universal and transcultural involving people of various ethnic backgrounds so that together we make, as Paul says, one body, one new man. And why is that? Because that middle wall of partition has been done away, has been abolished because the ceremonial law has been taken away. And in that regard, then, again, this is why, this is why, and I think Pastor, uh, Elder Patilla was mentioning this today in church, in Sunday school, in terms of the New Testament, in terms of the worship of the New Testament. This is why we, the old ceremonies, if you will, with the sacrifice of animals, with the burning of incense, with the burning of candles, with musical instruments because there is a new reality that transcends the old. So my friends, what we have here then is the demonstration of God's creative power and the proof that it is at work. It's not just that we see it, but it is proven, it is demonstrated. Now, if you look at a dollar bill, and I don't want you to look now, but if you do, later, look at a dollar bill, there is a Latin phrase on it that says, Novus Ordo Seclorum. Novus Ordo Seclorum. Novus, novel, new, nouveau. Ordo, order, seclorum, secular. Seclorum, world. New, world order That's the American claim. That's the American boast, if we may say. It is a bold claim with regard to the American experiment. And, of course, there are other symbols and monuments besides dollar bills, which 500 years from now archaeologists will find, proving that one day there had been a United States of America. Probably not going to last another 500 years. Empires tend not to last that long. So we will be confined to the dust deep of history. There will be dirt that will be piled up, and archaeologists will come along and will excavate, and will find monuments, indications, even coins, and yes, dollar bills, novus ordo seclorum. But my friends, the genuine new order, the genuine new order is not that of a nation, a country like the United States of America. It is that of the kingdom of Christ. And that kingdom of Christ is attested by various objective realities, including his resurrection including the establishment of the New Testament church, including the abolition of the Old Testament ceremonial system, objectively. But it is also demonstrated by means of changed lives. Changed lives. Lives of people stamped with God's image and remade in Christ's image. And of far more worth and abiding value and eternal significance than paper currency or granite buildings. It is the genuine new order that has come because if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. I have two points of application. The first is this. My friends, you must experience this new creation. You must experience it. It is essential and of the utmost importance. The new birth is the precondition. The new birth is the precondition. It's not anything that man can do. But you should cry out to God, Oh God, if I don't have this, give it to me. As Paul writes in Galatians 6 verse 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. So you must experience this new creation to be reconciled to God in Christ. And therefore, finally, my friends, I urge you, as did the Apostle Paul, to be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold all things. Have become new. Amen. We please stand for prayer. And Father, we do pray now that Thy Holy Spirit would take this message and would apply it to us. And Lord, we pray that Thy Spirit would work powerfully in the hearts of everyone here for the glory and honor of Christ, the one in whom and by whom all things. Have been made new. We pray in His name. Amen. Amen. Let's turn now to Psalm 144.